this is the Business's Mission podcast. Business's Mission. I'm Gaya Boyd, your host. I came across the very uncomfortable awareness that all of my ideas, my basic understanding of Christianity, of how it operates, of my role in it, were wrong. In this podcast series, we want to discover kingdom keys for business. I'll do that together with Bill Job. Bill is an experienced BAM practitioner. By the way, BAM is short for business as mission. Bill is from the US and lived 30 years in China, where he had handicraft factories. He saw God move tangibly in the workspace. We met at our BAM Congress in the Netherlands. Bill was one of the main speakers and he turned out to be so contagious. His stories made me curious and I wondered, does that only happen far away or can God move as tangibly here, within and through businesses in the Netherlands? or at your business in Africa, America, or Asia. In this podcast series, I'll interview Bill. At other times, he will be my co-host, as we invited guests who are eager to see God move within their own businesses. So listen, as we discuss ideas, experiences, and challenges. They might be yours as well. If this podcast makes you curious and you want to dig deeper, go to bearmoves.com. There you find a hybrid training and coaching environment, which we are developing. Today, in our search for Kingdom Keys for Business, Bill will share a story. The story of his life being threatened, his own life and that of his loved ones. Entering God's kingdom is being invited into a kingdom at war. He shares the lessons he learned through it. The biggest one, loving your enemies. Bill, good to have you. Hi, Gay. It's great to see you again and be with your audience once more. Tell us, you know, we're talking about you being in China, uh, being a business as mission entrepreneur. Here you entered this new world of China. At the same time, you are invited into his kingdom, you know, being there, a business as mission entrepreneur. This is the story of your life being threatened. How did it start? How did you meet this wonderful person who was after your life? <laughs> well, uh, to help people understand the context, let me just say that I was very, very naive at this time. It was very early on. We'd only been there for a few months. And a new friend, a young guy, 18 years old, told me that the laws had changed and we were allowed now as foreigners to have their own, our own companies. And so that kind of put me on this trajectory of getting a company started. He called me one night and uh, told me that he felt like I was supposed to lead a Bible study with him. And I immediately hung up the phone because that was, by a security standard, a very foolish thing to do, to say over the phone. But I met him and ended up uh, going to weekly studies um, in a secret little room that we would, it was hidden by the shadows and it would, you know, sneak into. One of the other people there ended up being the gentleman that's sort of the subject of this story. So we did get a business started, um, and then I needed to have someone to manage it for us. So the younger guy wasn't really wanting to do that. 
And so I hired one other man in the Bible study. My understanding was that he was being trained as a house church pastor. So I thought, certainly, this guy's safe. And we did get the company started, and a number of months into it, uh, I hired another man. And then the other man that I hired had spent 20 years in prison and would be what you call very tested as a faithful believer. So he shows up at work one day and he sees this other guy that I hired and says, what's he doing here? And I said, oh, he's my general manager. And (laughs) the new friend says, this is not good. What do you mean it's not good? I asked. He said, this guy is very dangerous. Dangerous? Yes. Well, what should we do? Should we fire him? And he said, no, you can't fire him. He might kill you. And I'm thinking, okay, in an instant, I'm transported to this whole other realm, a whole other world. And uh, I have a friend who continues to say that uh, we enter into a world at war. And I think this was the first time I actually encountered sort of the physical reality of that. And so I now am in a new company. I'm very naive. I don't know what I'm doing. A trusted new friend is telling me that the general manager is going to betray me. I can't fire him because he might kill me. And I said to him, well, then what do we do? And the man who had all these experience in prison said, now we pray. Okay, now we pray. <laughs> what did it entail? Well, Gail, I did have a seminary experience, but we didn't have any classes on how do you pray for your enemies who might kill you. And so I was just stumbling through it. And Maybe learning to ask the Lord, show me how do I pray for this. But honestly, it felt very um, immature to me. I, I didn't know really how to do this. So I felt like I was being initiated into something that was very, very important and certainly a significant part of my life. So how long did this period last? I mean... I can kind of see you tiptoeing, like, how how big was your company anyway? How many people were there? I guess we had not a lot of people, maybe 15 Mm -hmm. employees at the time. Was there tension? Did you feel tension around this man? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I felt like I was walking around on eggshells. I might say something that could trigger him, and I was concerned about that. So I was very cautious about any criticism. But three months into this episode, uh, he purchased a whole bunch of wooden carvings. They were ducks that then we would paint and ship to the States to sell. But I told him those carvings were no good. Do not accept this particular order. But he did anyway. And so the next day, I I guess the next day, I saw him and I said uh, that you did this badly because I told you not to accept it. Probably he was getting a kickback from the vendor. And the next morning, Friday morning, that week, he called me. And I picked up the phone recognized his voice, and he said, we are now enemies, and we must fight. I will kill your children and your wife, and then I will kill you. And if I die, it will not matter. Clink, and he hung up the phone. So, Gaya, this was not my finest moment. (laughs) I am not going to tell you that, oh, I just sprung into this absolute faith and confidence in the Lord that he would protect us. It was the opposite. I panicked, 
And I fled from the office to our home, got my kids out of school, and told Kitty to pack some bags. We were going to go hide in a hotel. Kitty is your husband. My wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How did she respond? Uh, she was nervous and uh, f afraid like I was. She was probably just mimicking my atmosphere, my you know, emotion. Um, but I didn't know what else to do. And it was made a little bit more complex and confusing by the fact that a gentleman that I met the night before showed up at our porch at our house as we were trying to sort of flee to a hotel. My Chinese wasn't very good at the time, so I'm trying to explain to him in broken Chinese what was going on. And he insisted that I go by his home and have lunch on the way to the hotel. Doesn't sound you were in a mood to have like a relaxed relationship building lunch at someone's place. Yeah. I was disappointed he wasn't getting my message that this was an inconvenient day to go meet, you know, have lunch at someone's home. I heard later on, and this is the way most of the communication happens there. It doesn't happen directly person to person. It happens through someone else. And so I, I heard through a friend what actually was going on. And his, his mother-in-law was an important person within the police. And so he was trying to get me to be introduced to her and one day maybe be able to be somewhat protected by her, which is in fact what happened. So we went by their home, had lunch, then went to a hotel. And later on, I found out that she sent word out to this fellow who was threatening us that uh, if anything happened to us, they would come right after him, that they knew where to look. So you stayed at this hotel? Stayed at the hotel for three days, I guess. And then when we heard that she had done something to protect us, I also prayed and I go, Lord, if you do not confirm to me that this is a place we need to be, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to put my family at risk if I'm not positive that we have to be here or need to be here. And I immediately got a strong sense of peace. So he said, it's okay. I got you covered. You'll be fine. And so we went back home and then just continued on working. On the following Monday, I was wired up by the police. Hopefully, we could get him to repeat the threat. Did he? He did not. So I met him outside of the facility where we were and uh, told him that we wouldn't be needing his services anymore. And so he just turned his bicycle around and left. That was kind of easy um Solve. It was, it was, yes, pretty, pretty easy resolution for the relationship with the business, but not for the relationship with me. I saw him years later at a big exhibition, and there was thousands of people around, but I clearly identified him across the big room, and all of my alarms went off. You know, here's the guy who threatened to murder my children. And I definitely was heightened in terms of sensitivity, did not want to be around him, did not want to be there, and uh, fortunately didn't have to have a face-to-face -face, you know, encounter because I could keep him off at a distance. But I, I was very tense at seeing that. Then, years later, I ended up memorizing the Sermon on the Mount at the kind of instruction from the Lord. He, uh, he indicated that I was to do that. And I, I was also learning at the time that my sense of what discipleship is was probably not very accurate. I felt like uh, since the command to make disciples and to teach um, 
talked about teaching the scriptures. And so I had a, a real affinity for certain scriptures that we had memorized, and I loved teaching them, and I had some significant, I guess, or evident success that groups would gather and they would grow if I taught. And so I thought this was really the way to go about it. And then the Lord said to me to review the curriculum. I, I had it wrong. The curriculum? I asked him, yes, look at the curriculum. Then I looked more carefully, and it says in Matthew, teach them to observe all I have commanded you. And it just went off like a light that I don't think I've ever done that. I don't even know what the list of commands is. It was really a very foreign idea to me. Instead of teaching the scripture, he was saying, teaching, teach people to do what I told you to do. So you saw him again. You sensed the anxiety mm -hmm. seeing him. What you learned is God is asking something more of me. Do I understand that right? It is. It kind of evolved a little bit from some more exercise or some more encounters with him. So from the Sermon on the Mount, you definitely get a clear command to love your enemies. And I'm thinking, theoretically, I will do that. <laughs> you know, I will somehow not hate them or I will somehow not want to hurt them. But that's actually not what it says. So he, what he does brought, it say? It says, love them. It says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He actually is intentional and pretty clear about the things that we're to do. So I began to wonder, are these the commands that we're supposed to obey in order to disciple people? So the whole discipling thing takes on a new look. If it's not me teaching people what to do like I used to do in the States, now it's me modeling what the scriptures say to do when he commands us to do certain things. And this came to a test, or at least to another chapter, another layer of uh, clarity. I was at a stop sign after I had reviewed these passages, and I was waiting for it to turn green. And they have these counters there that are big number signs, and it was going from 27 26, 25. So you know how many seconds until it turns green. I'm sitting there in my car, the first car in the lane, and then someone rides up on a bicycle behind me. I can look in my rearview mirror and recognize him, and it's this guy. He doesn't recognize me. The sign is going 24, 23, 22, and I'm just sitting there wondering, okay, how am I going to respond this time? And I, in fact, did not get all... Tense. I did not get all upset. So you felt, oh, I grew. I if I felt like I was making some progress, and that's what I started telling the Lord. As soon as the light turned green and I drive through the intersection, I just immediately responded, Lord, this is good. This is good. I'm making progress. I, I didn't feel like uh, I really hated the guy. I didn't feel all, all tense. And then the Lord said, Bill, that's not my standard. I want you to love this guy. And I realized That's just what I read about you. you. You're serious. You want me to love him? He says, yeah, that's the point. And I realized, I'm not adequate for this. So I began to have a conversation. Lord, how do I do that? What, what specifically do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to let me love him through you. I want you to bless him. Ask me to give him good business success, give him good health, help his children do well in school, just release blessing over this guy. 
but how do you do that, Bill? I mean, there's an injustice to it. He is an evil guy. The way I've learned to process that is the injustice needs to be dealt with, but it's as though the Lord and I are on a tag team wrestling match situation. So he and I are on the same team. And in the ring, one of us can get in and wrestle the bad guy. And so I just had this image of the ring labeled the ring of justice. And I'm in there fighting this guy because he needs to be dealt with. This is unjust for him to do these things to me. But I'm getting worn out, and I'm not very effective. <laughs> and, and then I look over and I see the Lord outside the ring on our corner, but he's my teammate. And he says, you could tag me in if you want to. So in tag team wrestling, if the, in, if the person doing the wrestling can get over and touch his partner, they can switch places. And that's sort of what we did in this little image I saw. So I tagged him. And the tag is actually loving the guy that you're wrestling with. But if you're willing to love him, sort of in Jesus' name and in Jesus' strength, you can get out of the ring of justice, and then the actual good judge gets in the ring and will judge him. So it's not a case of, if I don't judge him, he's not going to get judged. It's really a case of, if I don't judge him, the Lord will. And I would much rather have that happen. And then justice, true justice, deep justice will actually be done someday. And so by loving him, I feel like I'm putting him in the hands of the judge to be judged and dealt with. But it doesn't involve me. Okay, this is one thing, you know, to to get out of the wrestling ring. And you said by loving him, you release him into the hands of God. Yes. That's how mm-hmm. you feel that... What happened? That was the image that the Lord was giving me. So it actually made it easier to love him because now it's a step I can take to bring about justice, but true justice by the true judge, who is not me. But how do you... How do I process this yeah, whole thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, how do I do that? You know, how can you love evil? Here's another thing that was beginning to happen. And from Scripture, I saw verses that said, uh, we wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and authorities in heavenly places. So there's this whole introduction of a spiritual realm that is non-physical. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, this guy was appearing to me as flesh and blood. So this passage is saying, oh, he's not the one we wrestle with. There's something behind that that is actually the opponent. So I began to see him as something of a victim or something of a the the result of spiritual evil that's coming and using him to accomplish their purposes. So in a way, he's kind of a tool to what the enemy wants to do. And then I looked more at their family situation, and I found confirmation. His father was uh, put into a mental institution, as was his sister. And then I realized, and I had known this earlier, this was one of the reasons I was really concerned, his brother had raped a 13-year-old girl and slit her throat and killed her. And as it turned out, I had a chance to meet the policeman who captured him and, and executed him. So in Chinese culture, if you have bad blood in the family, it can get into all the siblings, and they're all capable of doing the same thing. But the more you looked at this family, the more you realized, oh, there's actually significant evil spiritual influence over all the members of the family. 
So is it also through loving them that you bless the seeds of goodness that there might be? I was probably not really developed in it, but I was aware of the one simple thing that if a person is flesh and blood, that's not the enemy. Mm -hmm. But I had they're the ones you see, and so they're the ones you label as the enemy. They're, they're acting like an enemy. But I began to recognize there's more than a good chance that there's something motivating him that is driving him to do what he's doing, as has the other members of the family. And uh, that's the actual enemy. So it helps you to focus on not really uh, hating the person that you see because there's something else going on. So you actually really started feeling love for this person? I don't think I'd want to go hang out at Starbucks with <laughs> but I felt compassion, and I felt like I was willing to bless him genuinely. I was asking God to do good to him, to give him favor, and it was sincere. Mm -hmm. So did you meet him again? I haven't yet, but... Uh, one of the things I did as a result was prepare that I would not be surprised if all of a sudden he walks around the corner and that I would have sort of a blessing ready to provide to him, and even if it's under my breath and not even out loud. But I do bless him in Jesus' name, and I just put him in Jesus' hands. So, Bill, to unpack this story, you know, here you come into this country, naive Maybe it would have been wise to ask some advice before you hired someone. <laughs> yeah, there's many of those <laughs> lessons, Gaya. There's probably a hundred examples of me making a decision, taking an action before I had, you know, asked other people what do they think, gotten good advice, or even prayed about it. Did you make some decisions afterwards? Did you did you keep hiring people, or did you? get discernment. How do you do that? <laughs> Regarding hiring people, I did recognize I will never be able to do that well. In this culture, in this country, I can't read the signals that people read to evaluate someone else. On one occasion, I asked my trusted friend, HR manager, who did all of the hiring after that. I gave it all. Yeah, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I cannot do it. And so it's you have to find somebody you can trust. But I did, fortunately. And then I gave him authority to do all of that. But I was noticing one particular worker, and I, I asked him, my friend, what about this guy? Is he for us or against us? And my friend looked at him and goes, oh, it's too early to tell. How long has he been with us? Two years. And that's when I realized there's something going on in this culture that I simply don't understand. So I'll never be good at reading people to see if they're going to be a problem. And in many cases, people are neutral. They're going to respond to you the way you respond to them. They're just watching. If you're good to them, they will probably be good to you. But they suspect a boss of a factory is not going to be good to them. So they're prepared to resist or to fight back or to protect themselves or take advantage. Are there some, some other lessons of what you would want to share with people in business, either in their own country or abroad? I believe we'll be digging into this a little bit deeper lately, but let me express it here. The curriculum for 
discipling people, according to Matthew 28, is that we're to teach people to do the things he commanded us to do. For really decades, I was unfamiliar with that list of things. So I began to assemble a list, started with the Sermon on the Mount, and I came up with things like, don't worry. That's an interesting command. <laughs> like, tell the business person not to worry. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Is he serious about that? How do you do that as a business? And so what we found is you actually can make progress at obeying those things, and it does really matter, especially regarding uh, establishing or inviting the culture of the kingdom to come into the operation that you're responsible for. So this was one of them. So a business sounds like a very practical place, a playground. Mm -hmm. Well, in this case, it's kind of a dangerous playground mm -hmm. to really apply what we are learning instead of, you know, knowing. Uh, one example, my background is uh, with mercy ships. I lived and worked nine years on board. At that time, it was called the Anastasis. And before... We had communion. There was the invitation, go before you have communion. Go and if there's anything against anyone, first go and talk to that person. So it usually took 20 minutes. I mean, <laughs> when you, with 400 people on a ship with 40 different nationalities and very many personalities and backgrounds, you know, you can kind of clash, even though we are, of course, all holy missionaries. <laughs> mm, right. We are still people. Uh, but it it was very meaningful and very profound. And I think it was, uh, it taught me one of those lessons. But I haven't gone to a church where we do these kind of things. But at the same time, at church, you know, it's like easy to come in there it doesn't invite for much opportunity to do those things. And is that one of the reasons why we we are used to knowing it, but not used to doing some of the things God is commanding? I think so. In my background, I became a believer during the Jesus movement in California in the late 60s. And the wonderful church that I heard the gospel from I was 21 years old then, made me a Sunday school teacher the next week. I had no knowledge of Scripture, and I assumed that would be important. I found out that up the street, about a half a block, was a church that they labeled as a teaching church. So I would go to their 8.30 service and learn something, and then come to my Sunday school class and give it back to them, to my students, as though I knew what I was talking about. But in that process, over probably two years, I began to really understand that the scriptures are knowable and teachable, and it was thrilling to be able to do that. So that gave us a found, cultural foundation of being a teaching church, and from that we assumed that's the key to spiritual maturity. So you, as a business, as mission entrepreneur, you share, you know, we developing a course on the things I assumed and the things I actually learned <laughs> through right. the process. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I hear you talking about is teaching versus doing. Right. So because we were teaching you know, culture, we assumed that was the way to advance spiritually, 
to get mature was through knowledge. And so that was what we focused on. We did not, however, focus on obedience, of actually doing the things that, that we were learning about. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to learn. I do enjoy these talks. I, I say we, and I think you do too. Yes, I do. <laughs> Share, um, you know, about your journey. And I enjoy hearing them and learning myself and how can I apply and where can I do more mm -hmm. instead of know it. So um, thank you, Bill, for, for sharing your story and um, some of the lessons we can learn from it, you know, to actually not only forgive, but to love our enemies. <laughs> forgive is one thing and loving is, and actually doing it sincere and become more free, I right. think, through the process of really loving and really wishing good, in a, not only in our heads, but in our hearts. Yeah, I'm having a little idea. Why don't we ask our audience to just join us? And right now, we we'll just very quickly pray, God, would you bless this gentleman and his family who came against us that time years ago, who threatened to murder us, and we just ask you to do good to him to increase his business, to give them good health, to help his kids, and to just bless them in every way they need. In Jesus' name. Well, may our listeners also think, maybe they have some people who were against them, hurt them, that there is a journey, which is a, a journey what gives freedom and what gives life and joy to those persons, but also to ourselves. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you so much, Gail. We'll see you next time. Looking forward to it. This was another episode of Kingdom Keys for Business, Life and Work. As mentioned, we developed a course for you, in which Bill shares more insights, how he learned to partner with God. He has a way of making spiritual insights usable and practical, of making the extraordinary, the spiritual, tangible and applicable in daily life, at work, in business. He does so in a joy-filled, engaging way, down to earth, to the point. So take a look at bearmoves.com. I very much enjoyed developing the material with him, and I predict you will enjoy taking this course and get some really good insights. Well, don't forget to follow us in your favorite podcast app. Don't miss the next one. We have more interesting material in store for you.